Welcome to the Trailer Cast with Elise Snipes. Each week, I will be sharing with you from inside my vintage trailer where I work as a therapist and share some of my musings on the human experience. I am endlessly fascinated and inspired by people. I love being a therapist and I'm deeply grateful for the intimate and beautiful work I get to do. I believe we are wildly capable of healing and making this world a better place, and this is my attempt at doing that. Sharing beauty to invoke beauty. May you find yourself inside these stories and ponderings and be better for it. Cheers. Hi, trailer cast people. Today I am interviewing a legend in the field, Jean Campbell. Um, she is a, well, I'll let her tell you all about her. Oh, let me um, change that real quick and see if this helps. Okay. okay. Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? No? It's going to be the way that my life works. Jean, I literally cannot do technology well. <laughs> Well, then doing a podcast is very adventurous. And people have to get creative right now. You know, it's interesting to watch. It is very interesting to watch and watching. Well, again, you know, I think like this as a psychodramatist, it's fascinating to me because a key philosophy in this modality that I've lived and breathed and worked in for 30 years at this point is that anxiety and spontaneity are inversely related. Mm. So the more anxious I am, the less spontaneous I can be. And spontaneity we define as the ability to come up with a new response to an old situation yeah. or an adequate response to a new one. Not a perfect response to a new one, right. an adequate, right? And I love that language. But spontaneity can only happen when my anxiety is low enough that I'm willing to take that risk. Yes. And then spontaneity, in simplistic terms, it's like spontaneity is the idea, and then creativity is the manifestation of that. God, Jean, this is beautiful. Okay, the, we're, just, we're already in the podcast. We're just going to keep on going with this, okay? Like, keep going. Okay. It's just the way my brain works, yeah, you know? perfect. Because there's this, what I was been trying to like wrestle with is like for the people right now, while we are facing global pandemic, who are being creative, there's this sense of when I'm already resilient to things that are hard, I'm actually not anxious about coronavirus. And because of that, I'm actually spontaneously creative. I am making. Right. And there's, there's this sifting, I feel like I'm watching happen between people who are in massive struggle and chaos and right. people who are like learning Zoom and creating new things and hosting. Right. This right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because um, I'm, also trained in positive psychology and a lot of what we talk about in that modality and I am not you know I'm not an expert in this by any means I'm happy to give you names and resources and stuff to put in your your info for the podcast but <clears throat> resiliency uh, it's interesting I read an article an op-ed in last week's New York Times which was so beautiful so many people have been referring to Viktor Frankl during all of this who yeah. for your yeah. listeners who don't know was in a concentration camp during World War II, a Nazi concentration camp, and not only survived that, but went on to create a whole modality of psychotherapy called logotherapy. But he talks about the concept of tragic optimism, which I loved. Um, and I've been doing a lot of reading about this and resilience in, in an effort not only to help other people, but to you know, boost my own. 
energy. Um, but there's this concept that um, it's called the Stockdale Paradox, and it's named for Admiral Stockdale. Similar situation, was in a prisoner of war camp during Vietnam. Yeah. And I came across two or three separate references where he was interviewed. And I think it was in the book, Great to Good. Okay. He, he was interviewed for that book and I'm spacing on the author's name right now, but it's easily Googleable. Googleable. I just invented a new word. It's Googleable. <laughs> um, but he was asked who had the hardest time in the prisoner of war camp. And he mm. said, oh, that's easy, the optimists. Because they would have this mindset of like, oh, the, the quarantine's going to be lifted by Easter or Passover. Mm. And then it doesn't happen. Right. Oh, it'll be lifted by the end of April. And then it doesn't happen. Oh, it'll be lifted by May 15th. Doesn't happen. Yeah. Memorial Day doesn't. Ha he said, basically, yeah. they died of a broken heart. Oh. Because they were constantly setting themselves up. Right. To, they were so attached to that optimistic viewpoint. Right. That they would get disappointed over and over and over again. Right. So it seems like at, at that point, optimism is just control. Right. It's just the way that they were controlling the situation. And so right. the open-mindedness or open-handedness is the way to endure actually optimistically. Yeah. And it's acceptance. It's really acceptance. Yeah, it's acceptance. Um, and in a minute, we can get into the five domains of post-traumatic growth, which I love talking yes, about too. Yes. But I mean, you responded to me yesterday. I put this post up on Facebook. Um, you know, who knew that my skills as an alcoholic were going to be transferable? Isolation, no problem. I can do this, right? Check. Um, friend of mine commented, yeah, the, the adult children of alcoholic skills are pretty transferable, too. Yeah. And I too. I was like, oh, I know how to do this. I know how to do this. I'm good at this. Right. But the other side of that is that as a woman in long-term recovery, I also have developed the skill of taking things one day at a time. Totally. So I don't have my heart set on this date, right? By this date, we're going to be out of this. Totally. You know, I'm like, okay, it's today. It's what, I don't even know what day is it. It's yeah. Thursday, right? Yeah. There's so many things that came up for me. One, like with, as like, so I'll speak from ACA. It's like as the adult child and an alcoholic, I have learned from the original um, microcosm I grew up in layered with all this experience now of not only do I know how to exist in a dysfunctional right. space, but I actually am far enough away from it that I also know how to excel in a dysfunctional and thrive. space. Yes. And thrive. Yeah. Yeah. That's the yeah. difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love the concept of post-traumatic growth. And one of the big concepts or one of the big factors behind that, which is also talked about in this op-ed that was in the New York Times last week, which is also connected to logotherapy, is the idea of making meaning out of something. Totally. The meaning making is key. And so a lot of people I know, myself included, yeah. have been focusing on what are the silver linings of yes. this? Yeah. What am I meant to learn during this time? Now, right. mind you, I'm in a very blessed position my rent is paid. I have food in my refrigerator. I have a roof over my head. I have a job. I don't want to dismiss that there's a lot of people out there who don't have yes. the, I mean, it's like, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like I'm privileged in that respect. Completely. I hear you. And there's a lot of people who are not in that position. And I really, I want to acknowledge that, but yes. those people can still step into post-traumatic growth. 100%. Yeah. And so it, some of those domains, the idea of increasing 
uh, a spiritual path, you know, tapping into that more deeply, which I have certainly been doing. Um, Greater appreciation for life. I mean, I write a gratitude list every night. And for the last couple of weeks, one of the things on my gratitude list has been the simple thing of, I have a warm, safe, dry place to sleep tonight. Totally. Because a lot of people don't. Um, And things like having deeper relationships with people right? Yeah. It's, it's been a kind of a sifting and sorting of yes, it has. who do I really want to be on Zoom with? Who do I really want to be on the phone with? So the, with that, is I also realize I'm giving myself permission to not call people, certain right. people, and to really make sure I am calling other ones. And it's enlightening right now too. Yes. There's, a, there's like a Marie Kondoing, a, a shifting. Yes. Going on yeah. For me emotionally it's like a periodic house cleaning totally and i've been really you know i work with a lot of supervise a lot of therapists and train a lot of therapists and i've been talking to people at length about really assessing what's your bandwidth right now completely because if you burn yourself out you're not going to be of use to anybody else great and we need you (laughs) exactly yeah well the next pandemic is going to be a mental health one we all know that those of us working in this industry it's already starting Levels of depression are up, levels of addiction are up. We know that there's more domestic violence happening. We know there's more child abuse happening. It's terrifying. It is terrifying. That's yeah. something that I think as like there's the knowledge as a frontline first responder for mental health is this feeling of, I know what's going on out there. And I know that those numbers where those are sitting at, like, and right. that's terrifying. That's secondary vicarious trauma in and of itself. Right. You know, it's interesting. I have a a niece who lives here in Orange County and she's a a doctor and she's been watching what's happening in New York. And she said she and her fellow physicians here, they're waiting. They know it's coming here. It's a matter of time. And I feel like as therapists, we know the same thing. The way she described it, it was so poignant. She said, I feel like I'm walking down the beach, picking up shells, knowing that there's a tsunami coming. (laughs) I've got the chills. But the good news is, yeah. you know, in the midst of this, again, silver linings, yeah. the, the folks in California have stepped up tremendously yes. in order to build the infrastructure so that when it does come, they will be much better prepared than our brothers and sisters in New York were, yeah. who were somewhat taken off guard by how quickly this spread. And as a, you know, as a New Yorker, yes. I mean, it's just devastating. Mm-hmm. It's really devastating. I have a lot of friends I have family members in their apartments in New York City, and they're right in the thick of it. And it's really starting to wear on them. Yes. Any of those folks are therapists too. So they're holding space for their clients, yeah. you know, and I've, I've been talking a lot about this to folks too, that we're in a really unique position as frontline workers at this point, because we're experiencing the same trauma that the people we're helping are, are experiencing. And it's really... A unique position. It's like out here in California, people who went through the Northridge earthquake know what that feels like. Or as a New Yorker. Yeah. Say again? 9-11. Yeah, exactly. As a New Yorker, I went through that around 9-11. I was helping people and enduring the same terror and fear and grief at the same time. And it is. There are only a couple moments where we have those big waves of whoa, this is a very different type of territory than we usually work in. So it's- Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I've been reminding a lot of people also the importance of 
you know, just a little bit of education on the brain that the logical reasoning part of the brain, that prefrontal cortex, a lot of people have been shaming themselves about, like I know somebody said to me the other day, she did three loads of laundry and didn't put any detergent in. And, <laughs> you know, and I was like, of course, yeah. your prefrontal cortex is completely offline. Totally. Because the limbic part of the brain, the, the reptilian part of the brain, which is all about survival, is so busy right now. None of us can think straight. Yeah. So, you know, a colleague of mine sent me an envelope and she took a picture and it said, return to sender, no postage. And she said in the text, she said, gosh, I'm so stupid or something like that. And I wrote her back and I said, no, you're not stupid. You have no free prefrontal cortex right now. Be kind to my friend. <laughs> yes, yes. Don't treat yourself like that, please. No one gets to talk to my friend that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So at that that importance of self compassion right now, and I really am doing the best I can. See, I think that so that muscle though of self compassion. I think that for maybe people who have been training that muscle for a long time, whether that's through the work of recovery or through the work of right. therapy or whatever our work is, it's like. Oh, I know how to go sit in that chair and, and have that self-compassion. Now, if I haven't done that work, now I'm out here and you know what? I'm terrified. I don't even know right. how to give myself right. kindness, that grace, that room. Right. Yeah. Um, if Where's anybody the- is looking for some of those skills, uh, Dr. Kristen Neff, okay. who has been researching self-compassion for decades, has a wonderful website. It's self-compassion.org. She's got a bunch of wonderful resources. She's got a great book on that title. Um, the way that um, I like to think about it, and this is kind of culminating from lots of other readings, it's, it's Dr. Neff's, it's also Brene Brown's, it's, you know, it's Sharon Wagshatter Cruz way back in the day in terms of um, ACOA. And it's the idea of I want to treat myself the same way I would treat somebody I love. And if I'm not going to judge them, if I'm not going to criticize them, if I'm not going to hurt them, can I give myself that same grace and that same gift? And it's hard. And when I can't, I have safe people I can reach out to and say, I'm not a horrible person, right? (laughs) (laughs) And they say, oh, no, 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 no. You're just having a really crappy day. Yes. Really dropped into that not good enough, not smart enough. Um, you know, all of my attachment wounds are coming out right now. Massive. And yeah. I mean, I even had the realization it was like a, um, and yes, I'm going to go there. I'm going to talk about politics, but I had this realization the other day that the lack of response by the white house Mm -hmm. and, you know, the daddy in our society has triggered all of my abandonment stuff. This is a perfect metaphor, okay? Because everybody has come from some family system, okay? So if we look at the American family system and dad, okay? And we are, we're all gonna see some form of our story in there. Are dad seem better than dad is? Is that part of one story that? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, what I have done is I have turned, and and I'm putting all politics aside. I don't care what party somebody is. But I've been looking to people like Dr. Anthony Fauci, and I've been looking to people like Governor Cuomo in New York, and Governor Newsom, and the governor of Illinois, and I mean, there's plenty of Republican governors around the country who've done extraordinary jobs as well, stepping up. The same way that when I was living in New York City during 9-11, we all looked to Rudy Giuliani. 
great. because he stepped up. Correct. Um, not a big fan of his, a lot, but I give him so much credit because yeah. he stepped up in a way that nobody else did. Correct. And Good. at times like this, I mean, it's that secure attachment. It's like, oh, thank God, somebody's in charge. Yes. And when there's a lack of that being in charge, it goes back to all of my ACOA stuff. Totally. And it's like my whole, my little kid inside is like, ah, ah, you know, and my grown up self has to say, it's okay. It's all right. Got us. We're safe today. Everything's all right. Yeah. I, that actually is tapping back into when I think about self-compassion. I'm like, self-compassion is my ability to self-regulate. It's my ability to breed resilience, which is um, panic light comes on, got us, <laughs> you know, right. global pandemic, I got us. So right. there, it right. feels like the training of the more that I'm able to practice self-compassion, the more ready I am to be able to field the chaos that I can't control. Yeah. Well, and along those lines, um, one, I think one of the important things to consider, because I've talked to a lot of people in the last couple of weeks who don't have that voice inside that say, got us, got us, um, is to have safe people outside of myself who can hold that space for me when I am dysregulated. Yes. Right. Because self-regulation, it's interesting. There's a wonderful video on online excuse me, by uh, Bonnie Bodnock, who is a protege of Dan Siegel's, who's done a lot of work in interpersonal neurobiology. And her um, podcast, sorry, her uh, webinar basically is called something like the myth of self-regulation. Because the thing is, it is a skill that I've acquired, but I've only acquired it from co-regulation over the years, yes. right? And if I had unsafe people co-regulating me, then I don't have that sense of safety inside of me. I have the chills. Yes. This is the, this is back to neurobiology. This is the mirroring, right? Like, right. so when I mirror with, with my caregiver, my primary caregiver, my mom, my dad, then I'm setting right. shame dysregulation. Right. You're right. And so now I need to figure out now as an adult, I don't have the ability to self-regulate. There is nothing there. But right regulation and brokenness right how can you ever learn that except through community with, with exactly regulated people it's the healthy exactly <laughs> exactly yeah yes. yeah well and it's kind of like um you know it's one of my I, i'm a huge huge fan of 12-step fellowships yeah. believe in them wholeheartedly have sent lots of people there over the years um but the that whole concept of you just need to love yourself it's like, well, if nobody ever taught me how to do that, how am I supposed to do that? <laughs> I don't have the capacity for it, right? And so then I drop into shame because, because I'm supposed to do something that I can't do. And so I've often, you know, I've heard this slogan, we'll love you till you can love yourself. And to me, that is the key to learning how to self-regulate. Yes. Because if I don't have that capacity inside of me, if I wasn't given that sense of who I am and that I'm good enough inside, then I've got to go outside of myself right. to get it. And right. unfortunately, if I was going outside of myself at a young age and I was going to people who couldn't give it to me, that's a self-perpetuating kind of thing. Right. So that's where, you know, Al-Anon and CODA and AA and CA, you know, all the 12-step fellowships and therapy Yes. Can help me develop that co-regulation so that I can then develop a sense of got it inside. Yes. And the the transformation I'm seeing now is um I got you. 
like there's like there's this shift that I'm I'm watching, especially from people that are in resilience or in their own work or in their own program. Is I got it, and who else needs to be got right now? Because I exactly reflect exactly yeah absolutely. I think we're we're having to step up more than ever mm -hmm. uh, to show up for each other in that way. But the other thing that's so fascinating to me as somebody who loves interpersonal neurobiology and who is a somatic experiencing practitioner is you know our first line of defense when something like this happens is to socially engage mm. right we go to the pack we go to the tribe for safety for connection that is the first thing we we are biologically hardwired to do but in this situation it's like i i'm here with you but i'm it's like i i can't i'm not feeling this yeah. right i'm not like i can't tell you how much i miss just meeting somebody at a starbucks having a hug and sitting across the table from them and having a cup of coffee. Yes. You know, pick, pick your favorite coffee shop, doesn't matter. But because of that, our systems want to go to that fight or flight. Right. Right. So we're having to override our first instinct. Hmm. Then we want to go to fight or flight, which is a normal survival. But what are we fighting? And, so where, can, and where can we run? Yeah, God. You right? Know, yeah, hence so why. Then, so then people go into freeze. And the freeze shows up as, you know, depression, dissociation, but it's also showing up as watching nine straight hours of Netflix. Absolutely. The numbing out. Yeah. Overeating or overspending or gambling or pornography or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. And I've just been reminding people, this is where that self-compassion comes in. Mm. It's like, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. I mean, if you can do eight hours of Netflix instead of nine. No, seriously, though. Seriously, though. It's progress. I agree with you. I agree. Right? Yes. Um, you know, obviously, we don't want people practicing self-harm. We don't want people drinking and drugging and, you know, right. being lost in pornography all day long and avoiding their partner and their children or their parents or whoever, you know, they're connected to. Um, but those old coping mechanisms from those very young parts of ourselves are showing up again. Yes, they are. I, a lot of people's young parts are showing up. Like I think like in, in both, like I'm noticing there's like the old resurgence of how did I comfort myself as a kid, but also like, because there's this weird time factor, like what did I also used to enjoy as a kid? Cause as adults, we're, we're seldom like bored the way that kids get bored right. to be resourceful. I think I'm watching people also be like, wow, like I'm, I'm knitting again, or I'm doing things I haven't done since I like right. learned. And right. Well, and you just said it. I think for a lot of people, they haven't experienced boredom. They don't know what it is. And then they get dysregulated because they don't know what this feeling is. It's so unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. And we live in a culture where people are filling their time and filling their time. I mean, even the other day I was on a, a, a networking um, there were like 40 people on the thing. And before we officially started, there was silence. And one of the people said, oh, I can't stand this. I feel like I have to fill it. And I was like, isn't that interesting? You're like, what is that? What? I kind of like silence. <laughs> but again, I have the skills to sit in it. Correct. And I've been cultivating those skills for decades. Right. And this, okay, so this reminds me, okay, when my... When we were growing up, we had to learn how to swim, and one of the tests was you just throw your kid in the deep end with all their clothes on, and <laughs> no trauma there. Oh, no, totally fine, right? 
And I think I'm like, that's what it feels like for people to have to learn these skills during global pandemic. Is it's like, right. good luck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you not only do you not know how to swim, yeah. but you don't know where the shore is. Totally. Right? Or you don't know where the side of the pool is. It's like, good luck. We'll all be over here. Yeah. Yeah. Like my my like um my heart in this season has been who are all the people that are out there that like need to be like roped back in or need to have safe mirrors. Because I think a lot of people are also going to be disappointed by their pack right now. That they're all oh, absolutely felt like they were something aren't. Like how long can we allow these memes to feed us? Yes. Like it's People are going to get tired and over it, and they're going to look for a real thing. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, it's funny because I live by myself, and a lot of my friends have been concerned because I'm here by myself. I mean, I'm getting groceries delivered. I'm fine. Really, I am. I mean, in terms of the day-to-day kind of stuff, do I have my moments of grief? Absolutely. Do I have my moments of frustration and anger and disappointment? Of course I do. I have all of those. But they're like, oh, you know, there's nobody there with you. You're by yourself. And then I've gotten calls days later, like, I'm going to kill them all. Totally. <laughs> Trapped in the house with each other for two or three or four weeks now. And they're like, I'm losing my mind with these people. And I'm like, yeah, being by myself, not such a bad thing right now, is it? <laughs> the grass is always greener. Yes. It's always greener. But I'm also, I'm really noticing, because I'm listening to a lot of people these days, I'm noticing who's moving towards each other mm-hmm. and who's moving away from each other. Right? Maybe, can you tie that into sociometry for us? Because that- Sure. Sure. Yeah. So sociometry is not only a research tool, which we've already established, but it's a way to reveal the connections positive, negative, and neutral connections in ourselves. Like, how am I connected to parts of, how am I connected to my little kid inside? Or how am I connected to my anger, my sadness, etc. It's also a way to identify the connections we have to each other. And so um, what I've been inviting a lot of couples to do is to, first of all, think about why you got together in the first place. Mm-hmm. What were the factors that brought you together in the first place? And what do you have that's a commonality, right? We talk about how it's sociometry is a way to take the covert structure of a relationship or a community or a group or an organization and make it overt, to make it visible. So, which is a good thing and sometimes a really uncomfortable thing, right? Particularly when I've done work in organizations, it's like, oh, there's lots of secrets sitting under the surface here, or families, certainly, Um, or even in couples. Right? Mm-hmm. There's these secret lives going on. So in terms of sociometry, to be able, and it kind of connects with what you were saying a few minutes ago, if I look at my, what we call our social atom, yes. A- A-T-O-M, atom. So I am, hopefully, I am the nucleus of my own uh, uh, social atom. I'm the center of that, hopefully. And then it's like all the people in my life are the protons, neutrons, and electrons, Right. So you don't have to be a physicist to understand that, but it's like how close or far away are all of these people. And so in my current social atom, who am I allowing to get close? Mm -hmm. And who am I needing to keep at a distance? Yes. Who am I keeping out there because they're requiring too much of my bandwidth? Yeah. Right. And who am I maybe wanting to allow to move a little closer? Right. So I made a connection with somebody, um, 
in this networking group, we had a misunderstanding and I reached out to him and said, hey, you know, I wish that you had asked me permission about blah, blah, blah. And he came right back, not a, didn't pause for a second and said, oh, I'm so sorry. I should have asked you about that. You're right. And thank you for pointing that out to me, right? So there's situations where I'm actually moving closer to some people. And it was a beautiful exchange. It is beautiful. It was a be because both of us were open-hearted and available for it, right? Yeah. It's one of the things I've learned when I get really activated about something, I don't make the phone call right in that moment. Mm, that's a good life lesson for everyone. <laughs> it's like one of, one of my clients years ago used to say restraint of thumb and pen. <laughs> So don't send that text. Yeah. Just don't do it. Don't send the email. Just wait, right? The idea of pausing when I'm agitated or doubtful. Just wait. Um, so sociometrically, I'm really noticing who's moving closer to me, who's actually moving for, further away from me, and who I'm inviting in and who I'm realizing, yeah, maybe I want you a little further out. Um, I mean, another great way to do that, I think you're familiar with Lori Jean Glass's work. Yeah, it's yeah. a wonderful book called Hashtag Healthy Adult. And one of the things that she's done in that book is something called Relational Circle Boundaries, which is from her pivot model, which is a coaching model on relationships. And it's a, a series of concentric circles to help you assess who is who. I mean, it's basically a social atom. Totally. But she's done it in a specific structure and each concentric circle has a different category. And I find that whether it's a social atom, whether it's doing the relational circle boundaries, it can really help people assess, who do I want close to me? And right. then when we look intrapsychically or inside, which parts of myself do I want close to me? Mm, I so I've been having to really consciously, like I can drop into fear in a heartbeat. And I've been having to really consciously uh, in my meditation, in my prayer, just in my day-to-day, -day, like I've had to say to my own fear, I don't want you this close. Like the other day, I was like, get out of here. Just yeah, get out. Just like go. I was yelling at it. Yeah. You got to go, dude. That's right. Get out, right? Yeah. Because otherwise it's, I mean, I'm a psychodramatist. I think that way all the time. It's like, my, let me talk to my fear. Let me talk to my anger. Let me talk Ooh. to what we do in psychodrama. We're not psychotic. <laughs> um, although it can feel that way sometimes, but it was like, I consciously was talking to my fear and saying, get away from me. Right. right. And even in a, a somatic experiencing tool, I was literally using my hands slowly, like really feeling, Gosh. pushing it away. I don't want you anywhere near me because yes. if I let that in, it can completely overtake me. That's interesting. Okay, let's, I want to, I'm going to pause on that because I, I want people listening to think about this too. So what has, what I've had to do that with is struggle. So I don't, fear is, um, I don't feel baited by fear. I feel baited by struggle and I'll find my inner monologue saying, this is really hard. This is really hard. And I think it was yesterday. I'm like, is it, <laughs> is it hard? Or am I hearing that everywhere I look? Is everyone around me saying this is really hard? And so then I'm saying this is really hard. And then I'm like, but is this actually hard for you, Elise? Like, That's a really great intrapsychic question to ask. I mean, it was so interesting because when I posted that thing on Facebook saying transferable skills, so many other people in long-term recovery comments and say, no wonder I'm not having a hard time. No wonder this is so easy for me. Really? Um, and it's not just the isolation. I mean, 
Correct. let's face it. It is the capacity to sit still with myself. Yes. It's the idea of being in acceptance, taking the world one day at a time, letting go of control, never a favorite of mine. Um, but I think it's really easy. It, it's kind of goes back to that social engagement piece. If I'm socially engaging with people who all day are saying, this is really hard, this is really hard, energetically, I'm going to pick up on that. Right. Which really speaks to, in my social atom, who do I want that close? If do, because if I have people all around me who all day are saying, this is hard, this is hard, this is hard, then I'm going to get stuck in that space. That's and that doesn't case. mean that I can't show up for, you know, we all, <laughs> there's an expression in recovery. The, the reason this works is because we're not all crazy on the same day. <laughs> So good. I've loved that expression ever since I heard it. So some days I'm a little crazy. I'm a little out of my mind. Yeah. Right? I'm not in my best self. Yeah. And I reach out to somebody who is. Yeah. And they hold space for me on Monday. And then they totally. call me on Wednesday. And totally. they're out of their mind. And I'm like, okay, I'm right here. It's so good. That's right? so good. So it's like we have to, I have to find the people who can yeah. take turns with me around that and who totally. can hold that space rather than us. I mean, and there's sometimes where I'll call somebody and they're crazy that day too. And totally. I mean, I can, it's, it's kind of like, I'm a, you know, that movie broadcast news. I don't. Oh, you're so young. Holly <laughs> so, Hunter plays this very high powered producer on the show. It's a news, it's about a news reporting. Yeah. And she has this routine every morning when she gets up, she sets her clock. I want to say it's for 10 minutes every morning. And she sits on her bed and she cries for 10 minutes every morning. And then she zips up and she goes on with her day. Come on. So incredibly dysfunctional. <laughs> it's, it's this running joke. And you, actually, it's not completely dysfunctional. It's what it's, she figured out to do. It's what she figured out to do and it's containment, right? So as a therapist, when I get overwhelmed, I, I put a little bracket around it so that I can stay available for somebody I'm working with. But the problem is a lot of people don't have safe places to unbracket. Yes. So it builds and then builds and then builds and then builds and then they're drinking again or they're, <laughs> they've, you know, yes. get out of bed. Uh, yeah. So that's one of those lessons I learned really early on as a therapist is I have to have places to unbracket. Yes. Or I'm screwed. Yep. It, few people learn that lesson by learning that lesson. They usually learn it through burnout and shame and some form of like public embarrassment where they've already burned out and like lit the building on fire on their way out. You know, it's like, that's not taught. That skill isn't taught, especially in a field for mental health providers where we're supposed to be somehow like all right or the healthy one or like, you know, it's like, yeah, they're neat. Yeah. It's interesting. I used to teach in the UCLA addiction studies program. I taught the, one of the classes I taught was the family counseling class. Um, and in the very first class, I used to tell them a couple of things, but most importantly, I used to tell them this class is going to kick your ass because yeah. all of your own family stuff's going to come up in the course of this. Cause we're looking at addiction and mental illness and a family system. The other thing I would tell them, get yourself a therapist or a counselor or a coach now. Yes. And they would look at me like I was, oh, come on, I'm fine. I'm uh, two, three weeks into the class. They're like, yeah, I found a therapist this week. <laughs> yeah. Everyone has in place. And I, every time I taught that class, I would tell them, you're going to have to bracket, particularly when you work with families, and you're going to have to have safe places to unbracket. 
I run a bunch of psychodrama training groups for professionals. I do training workshops and I tell them all the time. You, I mean, that, the beauty of doing those ongoing psychodrama training groups is yeah. people come there because it is a place to unbracket. That's right, it is. Let, can you talk more about what, you're, what you do then specifically? Because like so some people listening are in the mental health field and they already know who you are. But people that are like, what? <laughs> what psychodrama? What's that? What psychodrama? <laughs> can you? Um, so it reminds me of a very long time ago. I had a private practice office in the Psychodrama Training Institute building in New York City. And um, I remember coming up out of the elevator one day and the receptionist was sitting there and she had a very interesting look on her face. And she was like, uh, no, no, that's not what we do. And she hung up the phone. And I looked at her and I said, Joan, what, what the heck? And she said, yeah, somebody was calling looking for a dominatrix because they thought that was <laughs> And apparently somebody had put an ad in the back of the Village Voice basically saying that they could come do sexual psychodramas. Like, no, 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 that's not what we're doing. Oh, that's so amazing. That's not what we're doing. So psychodrama, um, a lot of people think it's something to do with Alfred Hitchcock because of the movie Psycho. Um, but Basically what it means, it's the story of your soul or the story of your heart when you translate it from the Greek. Um, and so the creator of the modality, Jacob Moreno, was a huge lover of the theater. He was also a psychiatrist. And he had this realization, I mean, mind you, I'm, I'm putting this into very simplistic terms in terms of the history, but he had this realization that if we have a powerful catharsis watching theater, watching, uh, you know, in those days there weren't movies and videos and stuff, but if we have a powerful experience watching the opera, watching the theater, we have that catharsis, what would it be like if we told our own stories? And so in psychodrama, which is typically done in group settings, not always, I mean, I've done plenty of it with couples and families and individuals, but we do a warm-up of some kind to help people land in the room and to get a sense of safety with each other because it's like, I'm not gonna spill my guts if I don't know who you are, right? So we do a series of exercises. That's the sociometry, that's the warm-up piece. And then we can explore in action issues of the day. So for example, we might have, um, somebody might be exploring the challenges that they're having with their significant other right now. So if we were meeting in person, they might then choose somebody else in the group to play the role of their significant other. Um, that person would be taught how to play the role. And then we can do what we call role reversal, a series of role reversals to engage in dialogue to help the person who we call the protagonist, um, to help him or her or them really get a better sense of what's going on on the other side of that discussion or yeah. maybe practice how to address a conflict or how to express something that they don't feel safe enough to express with their partner mm -hmm. and so we can get insight into parts of ourselves like i said i was talking to my fear the other day totally. we can get insight into our relationships with others we can get insight into our relationship with the higher power I mean, there have been plenty of psychodramas I've directed over the years where God shows up yes. or Buddha or, you know, whoever the person needs to talk to. Yeah. Um, but to do it in action, it gets us out of our heads. And the term we use is it concretizes it. And so we go into this almost hypnotic state where if I'm sitting across from you and I'm the protagonist and you're playing the role of my mother, 
it's like I'm talking to my mother. Completely, yes. And then I reverse and I respond as my mother and we go back and forth and back and forth. And the thing is when one person gets to do a piece, it's like everybody works because we can all identify with the emotions and the challenges and the frustrations and the victories yeah. and the joys that happen as a result of that. And so it's used to discharge uh, what we call an act hunger, which is an unexpressed feeling or thought or behavior, right? So these things get locked in our body. Mm -hmm. So for example, a lot of people are struggling with act hungers to run out into the world screaming. Totally. Right? Maybe they had a situation as a kid where there was something scary going on and somebody told them to be quiet instead of having those big feelings or somebody hit them because they were having big feelings, that act hunger stuck in the body. Right. So through psychodrama, they can actually discharge that in a safe way. And then the final stage is everybody shares. They don't give feedback. There's no advice giving. There's no suggesting. There's no telling them what they should have done differently. It's all identification like oh gosh do I understand that because my relationship with my mother is blah 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 yes. and if you had played my mom you get to share from the role too so as your mother I felt really scared or I felt so sad that I was not good at what I was trying to do and I knew I was failing you or you know whatever um, so that's a, a quick gist mm -hmm. on what psychodrama is it's yes. not a dominatrix <laughs> I mean, unless I want to play that out, you know. Then. You can, sure. Sure you can. I mean, if, that's, if you're into BDSM, go for it, you know, yeah. if, that's, if that's your jam. Um, the other thing is a lot of people think it's this relatively new modality. Right. We just celebrated the 99th anniversary of the first drama that was directed by J.L. Moreno on April 1st. 99. 99 years ago. Yeah, this is not something that showed up a couple of months ago. Right. It, as things become like cool, right, then they move into different like streams of awareness and all of a sudden people are like, oh yeah, psychodrama. And it's right. like a new thing. It's like, right. <laughs> new well, and the thing is, is, you know, we've really dropped into in the last, I want to say 10 years, really dropped into a lot of new modalities that are related to somatic practices, related to neurobiology, which is great because we now have the capacity to scan the brain, et cetera, and see what's happening. So We've been doing that in psychodrama forever. It's <laughs> not new to us. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. The, as a con consumer of psychodrama, I, I noticed, I, so I went to a program this summer where I did a lot of in-person um, psychodrama and group, and then I right. met part of an ongoing psychodrama group that you actually connected me to. Right. And I have, I have never had experiences like that in my life of the way in which we can get to material that is beyond my immediate grasp or awareness and beyond right. the ability to edit because it right. is real time. And so yeah. it is, um, it is more than what people could imagine. Right. It's, it's completely unscripted. Um, and it's bypassing the defense mechanisms in the brain. It's going straight into that limbic brain, which is all about emotion and connection. And because we're in the body, um, yeah. things emerge that we didn't even know were there. Right. Oh, for, for sure. Yeah. And so if people are interested in seeing uh, a psychodrama, I have a Ted talk on my website, 
Um, it's, and a lot of people said, oh, that was so well done. It was so, it's not, it's not scripted at all, folks. Not at all. It was, that's the beauty of psychodrama. It's all done spontaneously. All of it. Which is where we started today, which is like spontaneous. Yes. You know, it's like, it's perfect. So let's off yes. your website. Where can everybody find you real quick? So to watch the TED Talk, to see where you're working, where they can attend workshops. You do a lot online. I know that you're doing um, new workshops and new retreats. So. Right. So um, they can find me at braveheartretreats.com. Um, and on that, they can find information. If they're a professional, they can find information about um, workshops that we'll be offering once we're allowed to be in the same room with each other again. But in the meantime, I've been doing quite a few online workshops, particularly to support therapists who are now doing telehealth sessions. Um, and a lot of that has actually been about somatic-based tools Great. Um, to help clients manage their regulation. Um, but also we, uh, we offer, Braveheart Retreats also offers intensives, which we can do online for individuals, families, couples. Um, and once we're in person again, we will be doing retreats. Our Bravehearted Living is our signature retreat for, uh, for folks. And um, lots of workshops. We do leadership workshops for professionals who are not a lot of mentoring in the behavioral health industry. And so we're doing quite a lot of leadership work for those folks. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. The Ted talk is on there too. And just remember when you watch it, believe me, we did the warm up backstage. We did the action piece on the stage and we, and then we did the sharing off the stage, but it's, it's extraordinary. It that it, so many times I have to tell oh, you, thank you. Well, it's like, okay. So this is like for people who don't know too, like Jean, like, I, I don't think people really understand unless they're in this field, the, who you are to this field and so to even for people to and i and i and whatever you can scoff and you know you can put that aside or whatever but i i will tell you like completely open-hearted like what you have contributed to this field and continue to contribute and will contribute with your book <laughs> is is shifting the way in which we didn't even know that this could be and what this could do so you're a you're different than a leader you like you're doing something it's like prophetic you're doing something that you're also calling something into being. And so I just, I'm honored to Thank you. get to know you and have this conversation with you. Thank you. That's my ACOA stuff coming up like, no, don't. Nope. Yes, <laughs> you're doing it. I'm going to mirror to you. You're a brave hearted woman worthy of hearing your Thank gift. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a real journey and all of it, all of it has emerged as a result of my wanting to pursue my own healing continue to pursue my own healing and that's the other thing I teach my students all the time is you've got to keep doing your own work because if you don't it's gonna bleed it's gonna bleed all over the people that you're working with and you know that's not to say that we don't have our own stuff with countertransference sometimes but my uh, my dear dear one of my first supervisors out of grad school a wonderful man named Vincent Casolaro who's an extraordinary interventionist he lives down in Florida now, but Vince, I'll never forget, and I've quoted him a million times, he always used to say, therapy is about two people getting better and one of them getting paid for it. Mm. I love that. My clients come in and tell me what I need to work on because I see the patterns. Right. Like, oh, there it is again. Okay, there it is. And that, a lot of therapists, unfortunately, will disregard that. 
Right. No, that's material. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, that's just, well, you know, but to me, a really good therapist is going to continue to do his, her, their own work because it's the best. It's the only way, as far as I'm concerned, right. that I can keep, this is my instrument. That's right. It's a, and I, I have to keep it clean. Right. Like a barometer all the time. Like it a, is. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely is. And that's why I'm honored to speak to another frontline therapist that I know who, who you take that quite seriously. You're out there doing your own work constantly. And I have tremendous admiration for that because you are the next generation. Yeah. And that really, you are setting the tone, not only for other therapists who are your peers, but for anybody you end up supervising or mentoring and also for your own children. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it's really about stepping into our best possible selves a day at a time. It is. And, you know, we're human. Yeah. Isn't that the and best I, part? That's it is I, the best part. Like, there's no failure because I can, I can right. say something and be like, well, I was learning. And do you know that is a key, key piece of maintaining positivity is looking at everything as a learning opportunity. And absolutely looking at it as a learning opportunity. It contributes to psychological safety in mm -hmm. myself, in my home, in my work. Um, it, it's, it's a key piece of it. It's like, oh, okay, that didn't work. Let's try this instead. And there's the spontaneity again. Right? Right. Right. The spontaneity and creativity is, oh, this isn't working. What can I do differently? Oh, let me try that. I go try it. Oh, that didn't work very well. Let me warm up to something else. Let me talk to other people and say, what did you do? Totally. Oh, that sounds good. Let me try that. Right. And we can practice that in psychodrama too, which is great fun. Psychodrama doesn't have to be in the middle of the floor. Right, in a fetal position. Not pouring out of your bay, right? <laughs> I've laughed so hard in some psychodrama really? workshops because we're trying new things. Right. Like, I have oh, to let's see how this works. A quick story on this. We, we use language like this in our home. And so the other night, we, we, the kids always ask, can they all sleep in one room? And we know how the story goes. They, they get so hyper and jacked up that they end up not being able to sleep in the same room. And so right. like, well, we will let them keep trying. And then it'll be up to them if they're successful or not. And so... <laughs> the other night we're listening outside their door and our youngest is four and she goes, um, Judah, we have to be quiet because mom said that they're going to come back in here and we're not going to sleep together. And Judah says, but Eden, it's okay. We're just learning. <laughs> I love that. I, you're getting it, buddy. You're getting it. You know, like, and he's comforting her with his own sense of like, but this is like what we're supposed to be doing. We're learning. <laughs> what I love that also, it's so much what we were just talking about. It's like, she's a little one going, wait, wait, wait. And he's like, no, it's okay. I got it. I got it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So good. You're teaching them well. I am doing what I know and not holding back. That. Good. Yeah. Yeah, and for so many of us, it's doing the exact opposite that was done to us. <laughs> yeah, I, I need a playbook on what not to do. <laughs> I know that one. Yeah, <laughs> right? Make up as I go. <laughs> right, it's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jean, thank you. Thank you. So fun. I love talking to you. I love talking to you, too. I'm, which I'm, and I'm excited for book club, by the way, because I feel like this is going to be like next, this is going to be next level. <laughs> yes, I'm very excited about that. And boy, Glennon Doyle's new book is so much about not getting stuck in a role. 
and about using her spontaneity and creativity to burst out of it anyway. Oh, there is a rebellion that is about to go down. I mean, she's lit. I am, I can't, I can't like um, get off of that book. I keep coming back to it. Like in every conversation, every, all these pieces keep coming from that book. It's, I'm amped. I'm ready for it. Well, it's really interesting because if you look back in history, the, the women's movement, I mean, there was one in the 1920s, right after World War I, right? Major trauma, women's movement, another women's movement, right? Shortly after World War II, right? We're in a, we are in a third wave, right? The Equal Rights Amendment just passed in yet another state. So I'm in the really civil, curious. In the civil rights movement, in the um, sexual revolution, like right. it is, I mean, it is always women. <laughs> So. It is always women. It is always women. God bless the, the women who have stepped up and said, oh, no, 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 yeah. not. Well, and one of my favorite quotes is Madeleine Albright's quote of, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. Ooh. Ooh. That's fire. <laughs> right? That's fire. And I think what we're, I hope what we're seeing yeah. is that by empowered women stepping forward, right. frightened women will eventually feel like enough courage from that progressive energy and i don't mean progressive politically but that that movement they're like oh it's 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 so much like and i see this in groups all the time where when one person finally speaks up and says the truth oh i've been feeling that i've been feeling that i've been feeling that right so by by some of these brave women stepping forward and saying no 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 that doesn't fit i'm stepping into this it's it gives permission for other. I mean, it's the Marianne Williamson quote. Exactly. It's and it's right? so true. So right. this is like when I when I watch some women editing in real time, I'm like, you're ripping us all off. You're right. ripping us all off. So yeah. say it louder for the yeah. people in the back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just want to support those women. It's like even if you have to whisper it, right. at least it's coming out. Totally. That's so when you whisper it, I want you to know I hear you. Yes. <laughs> I hear you and I love your voice and I want to hear it louder when you're ready to make it louder. That's beautiful. That's such a gentle way for people to find their entry point at whatever volume they're at. Yeah, I mean, so many people think that I'm like this extroverted person who says everything she thinks and feels. And, you know, I am a New Yorker, so <laughs> I, I could say an F-bomb here, but I won't. But that's not where I started from. I was the good little girl growing up who didn't want to ruffle any feathers. Oh, Jean. Right? Yeah. I was a, such a good little girl. It's like I didn't even have my teenage rebellion until I was in my 20s. Yeah. That speaks volumes. Yeah. So, you know, 30 plus years of working right. on myself. Like, I'm like, I just, I had a moment of grief where I thought, oh my gosh, like, what if you would have stayed that contained? Like, the... The amount of people I know who have been affected by your work, like all of their worlds would be different. Yeah. You wouldn't have been on like that unboxing, right? It's like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, thank you. And if it hadn't been particularly for the women I trained with. Yes. Who gave me permission to unbox. Right. So my first, the men too. Like my, my very first therapist was a man. Yeah. Yeah. And, he was an ACOA. I mean, he's still alive. He's an ACOA and he's a long-term sober man. And 
he gave me permission to tell the truth in a way that nobody had ever done it, right? And then my supervisor, Vince, gave me permission on a professional level to say things that other people weren't saying and doing. So, you know, there've been extraordinary men and women. You know, my friend Phoebe Atkinson, who's an amazing psychodramatist and positive psychology faculty member at Whole Being Institute, she always says, the way we heal is through God and surrogates. Mm. And I am standing on the shoulders of those people who have gone before me and given me permission. And I've spent decades building up these shoulders for other people to stand on. Yeah. And that's what we do for each other. That's right. Because I believe in abundance and I want us all to thrive. I really want us all to thrive. Yes. Yes. I I, I wholeheartedly like latch onto that with you. That is like, more is more is more is more exactly is more. everyone's welcome <laughs> exactly exactly even if you're in a position now where you know you don't have an income you don't have a job you know there is still an opportunity to yeah. either stand on somebody else's shoulders or stand shoulder to shoulder Correct. with somebody yeah. so that you know the the it, it came to me about a year or so, maybe two years ago, all of a sudden on my bio, I started saying what we can't do alone, we can do together. And I really believe that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm watching in the midst of this pandemic. Yes. Why I love John Krasinski's some good news that he's doing every week. Right? Cause yeah. he's to see the stories of how people are showing up for one another. Right. I mean, the one that got me, I think it was episode two was this kid was, struggling with her homework and the teacher, I'm going to cry when I say it, her teacher drove over with a whiteboard and stood outside of her front door and like helped her do the math problem. I think it was math. Right? Like that, what that generosity is stunning. Ah, see that's the human spirit. There it is right there. Yes. There it is. It, this, yeah. And that's where we can see the silver lining or the gift in technically coronavirus, where it's like, when would that teacher have had that opportunity to do yep. that? She rose. Yep. She rose. Right. And the thing that keeps coming to me, and I know I need to write a blog post about it, but I'll share this with you. Do you know in um, astronomy what a corona is? I don't. So when, an, when a full eclipse of the sun happens. Oh. Right? So the moon moves in front of the sun, right? That moment where the sun is completely blocked and all you see is the, 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 looks like a crown sparkling. I've seen it twice in my lifetime live. That is called a corona. So I keep thinking about how the world was getting darker and darker and darker and now we're in it. And as we move out of it, things are gonna get brighter and brighter and brighter okay so this is what i mean by um prophecy your ability to see that and connect that and then speak that out there for other people to see too that's that is what modern prophecy looks like yes i'm gonna need a little time to snow globe on that one yeah it's just it's been so i mean i get this kind of stuff in meditation or in the shower like oh Right, yeah. that's called a corona. I know yeah. that. I've seen this. I've seen, I've seen it live. Yeah, and it's and I remember I was in I was in Nebraska with my friend Jill Cruz, who's an extraordinary psychodramatist. And in, in you know Jill, of course you know Jill. <laughs> you know her from on site. So Jill and I went to see it with her son. 
I flew up to Denver and we went up to see the full eclipse and she and I just stood there and wept Ugh. at the power of it. And it doesn't last long. Yeah. It doesn't last long. And that's the other thing about this. It feels like it's forever, Weird. but in evolutionarily, this, this moment in time, it's a blip. Yeah, it is. And can we see the beauty and the, mm -hmm. what's the term I'm looking for? The, the, the shootout from the sun. There's a term I'm trying to come up with. I'm, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Is it solar flare? Yes, yeah. the solar flare. Right, so that, it looks like a, a crown jewel and the solar flare, you can see them because yeah. the moon is in front of it, right? Yeah. It doesn't last long. Mm. And then it is about stepping into that light once we get out of it. So yes, I will commit to writing that blog post. Good, I can't wait to read it. Or maybe I'll do it as a video blog instead. I love it, you should. Yeah. Because yeah. you know how to use Zoom better than I do, so you totally should. <laughs> We're all having FFTs. That's so good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's so lovely to connect. I just love, I just love hearing you think. I love hearing you talk. I love watching you put things together. I'm like, wow, this is, it's, so, it's so beautiful. It's like it's all happening right now. Thank you. It's a pleasure, and I love the questions that have helped me synthesize some of what I've been thinking too. I mean, that's the beauty of the dialogue. Fun. Yeah. And you know, the other thing in terms of who's in your social atom, I like having these kinds of deep talks. So I'm very conscious of who I let in in that respect too, because not everybody can stay present for an hour to have that kind of a dialogue too. Um, and that's not a bad thing. If they can stay for five minutes as their building capacity, great. Yeah, no, that's cool to think about though too. That's, I'll take that as a note for my own, like I am, I'm watching that too. I'm like, oh, where'd they go? <laughs> right. Well, and I'm not judging those people at all. It's like you have a capacity for something quite different. There are some people who are so, they're working so hard just to stay present. It's right. It's the and, hierarchy again, right? Where I'm like, how could you have that conversation? You, you, you're you Exactly. Yeah. Right. And good for you that you're staying present because mm -hmm. that's really hard work right now. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think of all those parents out there, well, you know, yeah. one of the things I learned in positive psychology that I love, and I still do it every night before I make my gratitude list, I write down two things I did well today. Yes. Yeah. And so if one of those things is I didn't smack my kid when totally. I was just out of my mind, totally. that's positive. <laughs> a huge win or if I left the room instead of yelling at my partner yeah yeah that's a huge win that's something I did well today yes. you know for me I didn't respond to this text immediately because I knew I wasn't in the space to do it and I wasn't going to be kind yes that's yeah. a win it doesn't have to be, I learned Spanish today. No, no, no one needs that. I'm like, okay. I would like to learn Spanish. I really would. But I'm but, not going to, I'm not going to accomplish it in a day. No. So no. I don't know that coronavirus is the time to learn Spanish. <laughs> is it now? Are there for some, actually, for some people, it is. And if it is, great, go for it. It's, yeah. not, it's not what I'm focusing on right now. So, but hey, yeah. if that's what floats your boat, go for it. <laughs> go for it. Está bien, está bien. <laughs> it's so good. La bien, it's true. It's all good. Total bien. All right, you. Thank all right, you. you. Thank you so much. I'll see you at book club.
Thanks for listening. To connect with me, suggest a topic for the show, or ask a question from your own life you would like to have answered, email me at elise at trailercast.com. E-L-Y-S-E at trailercast.com. You can also see more on the TrailerCast website or follow me on Instagram at TrailerCast, where you can watch the renovation of my vintage mobile office and see more from behind the scenes. Remember, you can subscribe on iTunes and tell your friends. 